up, beautiful people? It's your girl, Amber, and we are back for another episode. Okay, I'm going to stop talking like that. <laughs> hey, y'all, it's Amber. We are back for another episode of the revival, Faith, Justice, and Culture for the Now Generation. I thought I would be a little bit goofy coming on to this new episode, just to switch things up, but I am so excited to be back with another episode. And I am still, I'm still recovering from just how amazing our conversation with Representative Rhea Moran was. And I know you all are too. <laughs> but we still have more content to come in this Revive the Vote series. And I am so excited to bring our next guest on to the podcast. This is another brother of mine. I know I mentioned earlier on in the series, I was leaning on the shit a lot for this series. <laughs> but, I mean, I just have some really great brothers who are doing some really great work in the political sphere. So I figured, why not bring them on to the podcast? So on this episode, we have Representative Cedric Frazier coming on to the podcast, who is running for his second term as a Minnesota state representative. I had a lot of fun talking to him, especially reminiscing over the times where we worked with each other at the Capitol on public safety. And so I'm really excited to bring him onto the podcast as we talk about some important, important work that was done and continues to go forth addressing the biggest issue in our state in this time, as well as being able to talk about his pathway into elected office and how it's much more accessible than you may think. If you all are thinking about running for office, there are different opportunities that you can take advantage of that aren't necessarily even actually campaigning for elected office yet, but it will give you the skills and it will build your confidence before actually taking that next step. And so he talks about some of his journey and his on-ramp into elected office as well. So I'm just so grateful to bring Representative Frazier on to the podcast, and here we go. excited to have my fraternity brother, um, a co-conspirator in this work, <laughs> um, and just an amazing elected official and just all around public servant. I'm super excited to have Representative Cedric Frazier here on the podcast. Um, before we get started, I want to tell you all a little bit about who he is. So you all know his resume, <laughs> and then we are going to get started with our conversation. So Cedric Frazier represents District 45A in the Minnesota House of Representatives, and he is the vice chair of the House's Public Safety Committee. He is also a former New Hope City Council member, City Council member excuse me. Originally from Illinois, he is an attorney by trade, having worked as a public defender for Hempton County, legal counsel for Minneapolis Public Schools, and for Education Minnesota, which is the state's largest labor union. And also, as I mentioned, he's my fraternity brother. He's a proud member of Phi Bay Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, Cedric, to the podcast. Hey, sister, good, good to be here. It's always good to be in a uh, space with you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for lending your very um, precious time to this important conversation. I am super excited to have you on as one of a few select Black candidates um, here to talk about your journey in politics, to talk about the importance of this election season. Um, before we get started, you know, here at The Revival, we are really focusing on the intersections of faith and justice. And I just wanted to open up and, and ask you, how does your faith, if you have a faith, uh, but how does your faith motivate you to pursue a just and free world? Well, I, I do have a faith. You know, I think about, I, I thought about this question. And as a kid, here's what, here, there were two pictures hanging up in, in my family's home. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. There was a picture of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
there, there was a picture of Martin Luther King with JFK. <laughs> that was for the that was for the two. Man, that sounds like some OGs for real. That's an OG two, house. <laughs> right, those are the two artists' renderings, and those that's what I remember seeing every single day in our in our living room uh, when I was headed out to school and coming back in the house at the end of the day. Uh, that's what I remember. Uh, on a faith perspective, I mean, growing up, man, church was uh, you know I was I grew up in a Baptist uh, Baptist family. Yeah, um, Uncle Willie. Uh, down in Mississippi as a, as a Baptist minister, uh, still still ministering to his flock at his uh, as he gets as he gets older. But uh, you know, I grew up in a Baptist family, and, and and so church and faith was a big part of of everything that we that we did. Man, I mean, we prayed about uh, our safety, our health, um, our opportunities, our prosperity. Um, we, we prayed over everything, you know, hoping that um, that prayer. Would, uh, would manifest itself in, in positive ways. Um, I, mm-hmm. So to this day, I mean, I still pray when, uh, you know, to, to ensure that my family is protected as I mm-hmm. shut down at the end of the night to, to go to bed and as I'm going into battle, whatever that battle may be, mm-hmm. whether it's in a, whether it's in litigation, if it's in mediation, whether it's in a legislator, um, faith has, has always been a big part, will continue to be a big part. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it's a foundation of my youth and and yeah. the way I was raised. And, uh, and I appreciate those that do have faith. Um, but the one thing I will say is that that faith for me, it's my faith. And, and even though it guides me, it does not, um, I do, I do, it does not manifest in a way where I believe it has to be uh, imputed on others. Uh, mm. if, if you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. even though it guides me, I, I do not, uh, I am not judgmental Mm-hmm. in any way of those that don't have a particular faith and I am in, 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 in nobody and nobody by no means do I want to use my faith to impute upon others for for me it's about doing what's uh trying to put legislation forward and policy forward and have conversations and take yeah. actions that are always positive and going to improve the lives of people thank you so much for that and I think a couple of things that you looked at that was important for me to hear is the power of prayer, like there's so, I think a lot of times when we talk about how to show up in certain spaces and do something, certain work, you know, sometimes the power of prayer is categorized as something that's passive, um, that is a passive response. Um, But it's really important to really see how the power of prayer can actually equip us for the work ahead. So I'm thankful that you uh, lifted that up. That's not a passive thing. It, it, it helps center you. It helps prepare you. It helps um, strengthen you for your work. Um, and yes, that um, our faith is something that compels us to action. And if it impacts people, it does. Um, and we are grateful for it, but we can't force something on something on somebody that is really bigger than us. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing that we can't control. We can just solely walk in it and be a witness. And so thank you for your response. So I'm super excited to talk about um, your journey as an elected official. It is campaign season, it is the height of election season. Um, You've done this for a couple of rounds now. I know that you're going um, campaigning for your second term at the house. Um, but I would love for you to share a little bit more about your experience, specifically in politics. Um, we talked a little bit about where you have served, but just to share more about your work in the political arena. Yeah, I, I started, I would say, I would say, I guess, if, if, if from an, a formal political um, experience, I started my career as, as a city council member mm-hmm. in the city of New Hope. And one of the reasons, so what, what happened in that situation was we had a city council member that was leaving the council. He decided to move, relocate mm-hmm. out of the city in, in, in our state. And I think in almost every state, you have to actually be a resident of the city that you're living in in order to serve on the city council representation. If you live in an area, it makes his connections mm-hmm. to it, right? Um, so he was leaving. Um, at that time, I was serving on the, uh, I was serving on our, our city planning commission. And, and the reason I wanted to serve on the planning commission because many of the developments and things that happen with the city go through the planning commission. And for me, I wanted to be able to be a voice and be a part of those conversations and particularly to bring a voice of individuals that typically are not serving in that capacity. I was a, the only person of color serving on that planning commission. Um, I was the first 
uh, person of color, mm -hmm. first black person to serve on our city council. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. representation is vitally important. And we have a representative uh, democracy. And mm -hmm. if we don't have true representation that reflects what the populace, what the uh, what the citizenry and the, the, the residents in the community look like, then we really don't have a true democracy, we really don't have a true representative democracy. So, you know, I started uh, as a city council member um, and, and right away, the things that I wanted to address the city council member, one, I wanted to reach out to the community and make it clear that, you know, this is your house, this is your city hall, um, your taxpayer dollars are what built it, your taxpayer dollars are what sustained it, your taxpayer dollars pay, pay the, mm -hmm. the stipend that the city council members get to provide their time to represent you all. So mm -hmm. come here, ask questions, be active, be engaged, be loud, use your voice, use your vote to, uh, to have your voice in this democracy. And, and then I, what, I, what I wanted to impress upon my other city council members was we really have to, when we're implementing policies with your city ordinances at the local level, city council level, we have to make sure that we have a lens that is really focusing on and the, the understanding that we have to be as inclusive as possible. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first things that we did where we were, we were replacing our, our banners in our downtown Main Street area in our city. And, mm -hmm. and they basically were they basically were, were things like you know new hope is a great place to live new hope mm -hmm. is a great place to raise your family you know and, and i said hey why don't we take a look at the the top five or top ten languages that are spoken in our school district hmm. and why don't we use those languages mm -hmm. um translate those 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 phrases that we're using and in, in our theme and our branding and we use those languages as we put those signs up right. around the city because we have we have residents that speak those languages and wouldn't it be great if the residents knew that the city was thinking about them when mm -hmm. they put these things in place so they could see their languages displayed right. across the city and particularly in those areas where they have to come you know you gotta you have to go down the city hall for permits for registrations mm -hmm. all those type of things you want to know that you are included in that the city appreciates your different perspective, your different cultures, your different languages when you come into those particular areas. So those one, that was one of the first things I did. And then from there, we do we did a local survey, mm -hmm. an annual survey. Well, I said, let's ask questions about our to our residents as to whether or not they feel included mm -hmm. in our city. As as do they, do they feel like we reach out to them enough to to include them about what they want in our city and mm -hmm. be clear about that. So that's that's where I started my uh, my kind of political career. And I, yeah. I will tell you that the contrast between being a city council member and a state <laughs> legislator is that you only got to convince a couple of people yeah. <laughs> on, your, on your council to kind of get something done, right? Yeah. As you, as you know from your time working <laughs> at, at the, down at the Capitol is that yes. yeah, a lot of people you got to convince exactly. to, get, to, to get some stuff done. And, and at the city level, you don't have as much of the politics yeah. as you have at the uh, at the state level and also at the at the federal level. So yeah. I started at the I started at the city level. Um, you know, at that uh, when I started at the city at the city level, I actually started right after. This was right after the the twenty sixteen election mm. when, when we elected uh, when Donald Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. And for me. For me, I, I really, I really wanted to be a part of that council because I wanted to be a voice that could be someone that has some integrity and some character mm -hmm. and really would be inclusive, which is what I thought I was not seeing at the federal level. Mm -hmm. and, and in many ways, I, I, I wasn't seeing enough of it at the at the state level as well. So mm -hmm. um, that during my time there, and then you know, uh, Lyndon Carlson decided who was a longtime representative in this area decided to retire mm -hmm. and and I, I started getting calls and text messages saying hey I, have you just have you thought about this you know we, we think you'd be great um, you'd be a great legislator for this area you know the area is becoming more uh, diverse we like the we like the lens we like your integrity we like the way that you focus and you address these issues would you be interested in running and I thought about it uh, talk with my wife about it talk to my wife about it again right because <laughs> I, I, I don't care what uh what you're doing uh, what career or whatever it is you, you gotta have support um yes. from your partner and, and mm -hmm. that, that is what can really drive whether or not you're going to be successful or not because mm. if you if you don't have that that uh if you you don't have that energy if you don't have that energy that positive energy and supportive energy in your life 
you're not going to be successful in the, in the endeavors mm. that you're doing. You might get a few things done. You talking? You're not going to be whole, right? You speaking so, uh, something there? You speaking something there? Okay. Uh, hey, listen, <laughs> that's, 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 that's just, I'll just try to keep it a buck with you, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so um, you know, my wife said, "Hey, you know what? I I know that this is this is the interest to you, and I and I." I, I think you're gonna. I think you can. You have something to add here and yeah. to give to the community. So I, I'm gonna be supportive. We, we're gonna support you on that. So, I decided to run. And you know, as you know, I, and I and this is gonna get long. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut it off because we yep. can get to, get to more <laughs> okay. places. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but but so I, I ended up. Uh, I, I ran my, I ran a campaign. It was in the middle of a pandemic. Was fortunate enough to win. And now here I am. Here I am in the legislature, and we can talk more about that experience. Yes, I know you're gonna ask yes. more questions, but here I am. Oh yeah, we are that's, definitely going to talk about. That's how I got started. We're going to talk about the legislature. Yeah. We have, we're going to have to talk about yes, <laughs> especially your first term because your first term started at the beginning of almost the beginning of COVID, almost. So yeah, yeah. we got to talk about all of that. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to circle back to. Um, and I think this is just some really good advice um, for people who may be thinking about they think about wanting to run for office, but not sure where to start engaging in the process, even if they're not ready to run for actual elected office. And we talked about how you were serving on the planning commission. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about where are other non-elected ways to get involved in government as a community member um and that process and how that can be an entry point into you um getting more comfortable with the idea of running for office if you're interested yeah so i, I just just a bit of background i mean i have a master's degree at, at local government management urban planning mm-hmm. and so what i what i was able to learn from that was that i mean cities have so many opportunities and counties have so many opportunities for citizens and residents to get involved without being an elected official. I mean, like yeah. I said, I started on our um, our planning uh, on our uh, our planning commission, mm-hmm. right? You also you have like you have citizens advisory commissions, you have charter commissions for cities that mm-hmm. have Minneapolis has a charter commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey. You know, yes. there, there's not not every city has a charter commission. Charter commissions are very very important yes. Yes. and very very influential. So. If you don't want to be an elected official, and if your city has a charter commission, try to get on that charter commission because mm-hmm. that charter is essentially the charter is the constitution of, of your city, city mm-hmm. right? And if you can influence that, and if you can bring a lens that has not always been there, and mm-hmm. if you look at these, if you look at the makeup of the charter commission, like look at the makeup of the Minneapolis charter commission, <laughs> it, it, it is not uh, it is not absolutely reflective of of what that city looks like and it's not just uh it's not just minneapolis sorry about that it's not just not just minneapolis it's also like uh brooklyn center has a charter has a charter as well mm-hmm. um but you want to make sure that that you have representation on those particular committees so those are places that you can um that you can get into and that where you can um you can be of service without being elected official like i said the transportation i mean i'm sorry the the uh the planning commission um, there's human rights commissions in some cities where you can be um, access as well, and just overall in your local na- your local neighborhoods um, associations mm-hmm. where you can be active. Um, you can start a neighborhood watch if you if you're concerned about community safety. Um, those are ways to be can active. Uh, we have the national night out that we do annually. Those are mm-hmm. ways you can organize, bring your community, your neighbors together to be active. So that's plenty. Those are just some opportunity, but there's plenty of ways to be active without being elected official. But when you do that, you get to meet a lot of people, mm-hmm. you get to connect with a lot of people, you get to learn what the issues are. And in a sense, that is what a politician does. They connect with yeah. the people, learn what the issues are. They advocate on behalf of their uh, community, of their neighbors, in terms of highlighting and trying to um, bring about some resolutions to those issues. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I just think that's really important because a lot of times we think that the only um, way you can have a seat at the table in government is if you are an elected official or just like a regular constituent, but you can have meaningful influence in your government and political structures in a multitude of different ways. Um, and so I just want to highlight that piece of your story because that 
that helped set the stage for you to be a city council member. And then your experience as a city council member helped set the stage for you to become a state legislature, a state legislator, I would say. So, um, and I, I definitely want to segue into um, your journey right now as a legislator. Um, like, um, as I mentioned, you are uh, nearing the end of your first term. You are running for re-election for your second term. Um, you were elected actually in the midst of COVID. So that's a whole situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so much um, coming into play with that. And then also taking on a huge, huge charge um, in uh, joining the leadership of the House Public Safety Committee in the state of Minnesota, mm -hmm. in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. Um, so much <laughs> that comes with that. Um, and thankfully, like we had the opportunity to try to work on some of this stuff at the Capitol as well as I worked in the executive branch. Um, but I would love to just kind of hear more about that journey for you in your first term as a legislator and what you're proud of, um, because I wasn't just all, I actually, let's keep it real, y'all. Seven was going to work. He was not, he was leading on public safety work, but he was doing a lot for frontline workers and, and supporting so, so, like he has been working in his first term. <laughs> okay. So, you know, some people kick it. Nah, he was working. So I would love to um, hear more about what you're proud of as far as accomplishments in your first term. What were some of the biggest challenges you have faced as well? Um, and, and just reflecting over your time at the legislature in these uh, past two years. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned the the frontline workers. Um, that that was a big accomplishment. I mean, it, it's it's uh, you know we've got we had thousands, million we had millions of people apply for the frontline worker um, bonus pay after mm -hmm. it was passed in legislation. Um, but I mean, we have millions of frontline workers that were going into work day in and day mm -hmm. out, you know, during the, during the height of the pandemic, right? When, when we had to stay at home mm -hmm. orders and, and for, for many of us that were able to stay home and, and kind of shelter in place and be with our families, and be safe and not have to have those risks. Uh, our frontline workers didn't have those options. I mean, they were in work, they were cleaning, they were, they were serving, they were stocking shelves, they were delivering food. I mean, they were doing all those things that allowed us to continue to move forward um, and do the things that we wanted to do, almost almost uninterrupted outside of the, outside of the fact that certain things were closed, we're kind of like you know hanging out at home, watching Netflix and ordering things <laughs> in, and yeah. running maybe running a Target every now and then to pick things up. You know they were they were out there sacrificing the potential of uh, com contracting COVID and bringing it back to their families. So I'm I'm glad we were able to get that bill passed, and I was honored to carry that bill because um, I said this on the House floor. We were passing the bill was that you know a majority of my family are frontline workers and they're not here in minnesota illinois didn't do this uh which is where i was born and raised mm -hmm. but they're not here in minnesota to to benefit from this but a majority of my family members are frontline workers and they were out there putting their lives on the line some of them caught contracted covid my grandmother mm -hmm. was in the hospital for a couple of weeks after she contracted mm -hmm. covid that was a scary time mm -hmm. but but that is why, for me, it was it was a personal thing as a way to say to honor those workers. But at the same time, I really and truly understood what those workers were going through because I was raised by frontline workers. My family members are still frontline workers, so that that was a very big accomplishment in that in that first uh, in my first term. Mm -hmm. But I think what what most people may have seen me working on was public safety issues, yeah. and and it was because like we we came in our class came in. And in the aftermath of, yeah. of, we campaigned and it came in in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. Yep. So public safety um, stayed front and center. And, and when we say public safety, I mean, public safety is really is really broader. Uh, it's a broad term. It's firefighters. It's 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 paramedics, right? It's 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 uh, social services. Mm -hmm. But mainly, but mainly when we say public safety uh, in a political sense, what people are talking about, they're talking about police. police. Yeah. They're talking about police. And what we were focused on was, was we were focused on police and police accountability. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think, you know, the, the, the murder of George Floyd, it gave us an opportunity to have a conversation, a sustained conversation, which I think we're still having today, a sustained conversation about what policing could look like in the state of Minnesota 
in a way that could lead to better community relations um, that, that involve accountability. And I still think we got a long ways to go. You know, we there was a, there was a police accountability act passed um, after George Floyd uh, was murdered, and and I, I got to give all respect to um, Chair Carlos Mariani, yes, to um, Chair Rena Moran, yes, um, to all of the posse caucus members. And for those who don't know who they are, yes. that is the People of Color Indigenous uh, Caucus, and, that, mm-hmm. and those are all the Black and Brown people that are in, <laughs> <laughs> that are in that are in the house on a DFL side. I will say that is that is a DFL-centered mm-hmm. caucus, but those are all those folks on that side that worked really hard to get something done um, so that George Floyd's murder wouldn't, would not be in vain, right? And what I will say to folks also, the reason they were able to move so quickly on those bills and that legislation is because these aren't new issues. Yes. I mean, these were issues. Talk about it. <laughs> these were issues that have been discussed for decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been... There's been multiple, several, mm-hmm. many police shootings where the where where folks have been uh, have been killed, black bodies, brown bodies have been killed um, after police interactions. Mm-hmm. And what we did not have in those situations were video evidence contradicting everything that was listed in the police reports mm-hmm. after that after Floyd was murdered. Mm-hmm. That is what we didn't have, and that is what. That is what we wow. had. I, I believe yeah. that was that was a huge impact on how things played out. I mean, I, I believe I believe that is the thing that sparked the fuse that that was that was bursting around the country and around the world. You know, I always compare it to what uh, what happened in the '60s or the civil rights movement mm-hmm. when the new when when the media finally put on TV the water hoses and the dogs mm-hmm. that were put to black people that mm-hmm. were just trying to protest and say we want better. We don't want to be treated this way anymore. We don't want to be treated like second-class citizens. We don't want to be treated like animals anymore. Mm-hmm. When that was shown on TV, it made some. It made other people, white folks, suburban white folks mainly, liberal white folks, to say, "Oh, this doesn't really happen." Say, yeah. "Damn it, we got to do something. This isn't us. We don't want to be associated with that." Um, so, so much of my my first term was taken up by, as you as you mentioned earlier, I'm the vice chair of the uh, Public Safety Criminal Justice Reform and Finance Committee. And so a lot of my work was focused around public safety. And I've, I've really been, I've been happy about the legislation that we've been able to push forward. Um, we passed it out of the DFL, um, DFL majority house. What we've been, what I've been frustrated is that it's been caught up <laughs> in our Republican Senate. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say this, you know, I think everybody uh, becomes an elected official because they believe that they can add something to um, to the community that they can give back in a certain way that they that they, that there's that this this is a uh, that they have a voice or a perspective that may not be there, mm-hmm. and so I don't I don't fault people for what they what they particularly believe in. But what I am very frustrated in is that we have uh, many individuals that oftentimes they fail to or refuse to appreciate the perspective of someone that comes from a community that is often harmed by mm. the systems that are in place. Mm. And, and, I, and I oftentimes felt like in some of the conversations that I was having with leaders on the GOP side, that they really weren't appreciating that I'm saying, look, I understand what that's like mm-hmm. as a black man, because I've been pulled over several times yeah. for no other reason than that I'm a black man driving in a community that the person, the officer perceives that I should not be in that community. Mm-hmm. And that could be just a couple of blocks away from my home, mm-hmm. but they perceive me as being a threat to that community, so they stop me. Mm-hmm. Or I'm treated differently in my community, or in other communities adjacent to my community because of mm-hmm. what I look like, and that that has been that has been the real frustration. So the the highlights have been passing the frontline workers bill, working on public safety issues, pushing some bills that were that were passed to deal with police accountability. Mm-hmm. But absolutely frustration about the many things that I believe could make Minnesota a better place for all of us to live that have mm-hmm. been stalled by my Republican colleagues in the Senate side. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And um, before we get too too far, we want to give our flowers to Representative Carlos Mariani, who I know is um, retiring, has served yeah. over 30 years um, in the House and largely 
pushed um, and led a lot of education work, but then yeah. in recent sessions really took up the call on public safety. And so we just want to give our flowers to him as he has um, near the end of his legislative career um, and just so grateful for his leadership. So I know you mentioned him. We have to, to shout him out because he, you, you, it was you and him in the trenches. <laughs> I know um, this last season, uh, legislative session. And I know you've talked a lot about um, the police accountability side, which is huge, um, especially here in the state of Minnesota. Um, But you also mentioned that public safety is more expansive than than the conversations around police accountability. And I know that you um, authored a very substantial package around public safety innovation. And you know, a lot of the conversations that people want to throw back on the Black community as well. Well, you're talking about police, but what about crime in your own neighborhoods and all, and all these things? And I know that you have articulated um, pretty well based on your own experiences um, in your life, but also um, a vision for how things could be different. Like we're not just focused, especially here at the revival. We really want to not just talk about how are we address a problem, but how are we envisioning a solution, a vision for for what things could be? And I really did feel like the public safety innovation package was seeking to do something similar to that vein. So if you could share just a little bit about. Um, the work you did for public safety innovation, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that, that so the public safety innovation act, essentially what it what it focused on, and, and the reason it was innovative, it it wasn't really that the bill had all of these kind of new ideas. Mm-hmm. The innovate the innovative part was that we were going to put some resources behind it, sustainable mm-hmm. resources behind it that has never been done before, not mm-hmm. in Minnesota really kind of not anywhere in, in the country. I mean, we, we were going to focus on crime prevention and intervention programs, um, which many, we, you and I know that there's a lot of nonprofit organizations in our communities mm-hmm. led by people that look like us that have been doing this mm-hmm. work for decades, trying to ensure that we have safe communities or safer communities, right? And drive violence down, drive gun violence down and create spaces for our young people and just for our community members to kind of kind of grow and thrive in. We know that those organizations exist. What those organizations often have a hard time doing is having the resources to be sustainable, having the resources to scale up, to have the kind of impact that we need them to have so that we can have safe communities. And the innovation package was designed to provide resources so that those organizations could do just that. So not only could they have the resource to be sustainable, but that they could scale up and you know, we could use those resource organizations as models to implement them in every, in every other, in other areas around our state mm-hmm. that are having um, crime, uh, that, are, that are seeing crime rise in their particular areas. And, and one of the things we focused on uh, in that package was we were going to look at the data because what we know is a lot of the, in, the, in, the, in the political realm, we always talk about, or most politicians that that that, that want to talk about public safety and use as a political lever, they talk about Minneapolis and the crime in Minneapolis or the crime in St. Paul in our urban areas. Well, you know, statistically, we know that when you have um, high concentrated areas of population, more happens in those areas. So, absolutely, you're going to see higher crime rates um, in those areas. You're going to see varieties of crimes in those particular areas. But also, we also know when we look at the data, there are pockets of crime around our state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I always tell people is we've got poor people all over our state. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because when you have impoverished communities, you tend to see higher rates of crime. Mm-hmm. And the reason we see that is because they've been underinvested in. Mm-hmm. And when you have underinvested communities, right. crime tends to be higher in those areas. People are looking or they're trying to ensure their survival. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't give communities any other options or individuals any other options. They turn to crime as a way to ensure that they have what they need to survive. And so this bill, this bill was really focused on providing resources in all those areas, providing resources to nonprofits. Um, We're talking about food shelves. We're talking about shelter organizations. We're talking about organizations that deal with victim services. We're talking about uh, mental health um, services. 
to focus on those areas that we know are the root causes that lead to communities having higher rates or increasing rates of crime. Mm -hmm. And we were going to invest, I mean, we were looking at putting um, $35 million, uh, $50 million up front mm-hmm. for, the initial, for the initial phase to just, to just get started to, to start putting the resources out there. And then an ongoing $35 to $40 million so that, that, that those organizations wouldn't have to have fear or concerns that they wouldn't have those resources there. And the way we designed it was we really kind of designed it so the cities could work in tandem with those community organizations that they've already been worked with in many cases but have the resources to continue those uh, relationships to build upon that and create safer communities. I mean, I was proud of that legislation. I mean, I think about it now, we probably could have called it the Safe Community Act because that's what, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, what we were, that's what it was for. I mean, it was, it, was, yeah. it was to make sure that we had, ensure that we had safe communities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, this is, this is what, but this is where we go, right? We pass it out of the house, you know, yeah. it was, and we and we had to work hard to, to build around in our DFL caucus to make sure everyone bought into that because not everyone lives in the metro area. Right. Um, so we have to make sure that folks understood that these resources were going to be uh, were, were going to be impactful no matter where you lived in the state of Minnesota. We looked at the data, we saw where the pockets were, and they were all over the state of Minnesota. In fact, there was a majority of communities outside of the metro area that had rising. And we mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that there were resources for those communities to put together programs that would mm-hmm. ensure that they had safe communities. Thank you for that. And thank you for just saying the record straight, because there's been a lot of uh, misinformation about, first of all, we've had historic decreases in crime over the last several decades. Let's just yeah. lay that lay that on the table, but also that there's a there's been a lot of misinformation about where has crime been spiking, particularly in the area of COVID, that it's only been in the cities, that it's the cities that are becoming more lawless. And yes, there are unique challenges that are happening in the infrastructure of the cities, but there is an issue related to addressing crime throughout the state and that we should have more of a a balance and statewide approach instead of just targeting the cities like the cities can't get it together so I think that is um really good to that you were able to confirm in the data like this is actually the reality of the issue because a lot of times we get um carried away by a lot of political rhetoric that is actually not grounded in facts um and in data. So I just, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing in that space. And also just um, particularly as um, a Black legislator, like really showing excellence in your work and um, a comprehensive approach to the issue. Um, Because I think a lot of times people see, especially in in this, uh, like you said, you came in into politics post-Trump. And so there's kind of another image of the elected official um, that has largely come out of a space of resistance and this notion that um, legislators like you are not doing the comprehensive work of governance that's solely about pushing your agenda, but that you all are actually trying to govern well and govern comprehensively across the landscape. So thank you for that. No, you know, if, if I could just say to, to that to that point, one, you're, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, not only is the narrative that it only crime only happens in you know Minneapolis or St. Paul, but also then the response to that is how do you solve it? It's not the comprehensive approach, right? The narrative is mm-hmm. we just need to hire more police officers, and therefore crime is going to you know dissipate or you know go way down or disappear. And we 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 know just from again you know from the data that is not the case. You know, uh, we've we when when you just what you just mentioned earlier about the the historic decline in crime that happened as that happened absolutely as the police ranks were going down. So if if you're having a historic decrease in crime prior to the pandemic happening, um, and, and 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 that is with your ranks going down. If you, for example, a place like Minneapolis, their their ranks have been going down for the last few years. But there was a decrease in crime as those ranks were going down. Then how do you jive that with 
oh, we must have more cops in order to bring mm. crime down. There were other things happening there, and we have to look at what those things are, and we have to put resources around that, and we have to double down. We have to double down on that. We have to double down on the extra things that we need to do, the mm-hmm. more comp- comprehensive things that we need to do. We cannot double down and be so um, have such a narrow view or <clears throat> a single a single-minded or single vision of what it takes to make sure communities are safe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and just talk a little bit more about the way forward. Uh, yeah. We're in the midst of an intense election season, in the midst of midterm elections, um, particularly as a state legislator. Um, you're up every two years, but also we have the entire Senate that's up. We have all of our state constitutional officers that are up. This is um, an election season that is very high in its stakes. And so um, what are some things that you want to impart to our listeners about um, the work that you will hope to do <laughs> in the second term and what's at stake um, in this election season, particularly for, for Black voters, um, as we really want to lift up those issues um, in this platform? Well, there was there was a huge um, bonding bill that we did not get mm. done last session. And and those bonding dollars- So what's a bonding bill? Okay, so, so the, <laughs> so, right, so, so the bonding bill, essentially those, those, those are infrastructure projects, right? Uh, I mean, those are, those are roads, those are, those are buildings. Um, those are, those are the things that keep our, um, our state and our cities structurally sound mm-hmm. right it's also resources into um buildings like our community centers that we have like sabathia community center mm-hmm. um like uh like phyllis wheatley community centers mm-hmm. um those places um that are providing resources to our communities that help stabilize our communities and help also by, by the way those things are also instrumental to safe communities yeah. right we didn't get that bonding bill passed this year. We're, we're talking about millions, mm-hmm. billions of dollars that would have been going into our communities to uh, build up things or build new things, keep our roads safe, keep our streets safe, uh, building up infrastructure around uh, broadband and things like that. We didn't get that done. Were that harms our black brown communities? Now, we already know that in many cases, our black and brown communities are underinvested in. Mm-hmm. Now, what you have in the legislature now, and, and, and what I'm hoping we're going to have even more of next year, is a very, very um, large presence of Posse Caucus members mm-hmm. that come from communities and understand those communities and have lived experience of what it's like not to have your communities invested in. Mm-hmm. So we had tons of bills and projects that we were focused on in the bonding, um, in the bonding process in that bonding bill that was chaired by Chair Fu Lee, who mm-hmm. is a representative yes. of North Minneapolis. Um, again, looking out, having a lens. Like that, that. There you go. <laughs> having a lens, and Fu's doing great work, right? Fu yes. was holding a line and said, look, we're not going to have a bonding bill that doesn't have an emphasis on those communities that have always right. been left behind. And, and, and here's the thing about the here's the thing about this, right? What people don't understand. When 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 Fu was making taking that stand and having that vision and that agenda for the Bundy bill, he's also talking about communities around the entire state of Minnesota. Yeah. Places in greater Minnesota, some of our small rural communities that have been underinvested, some of our farming communities that have been underinvested. And when you go, when we travel to some of these places and we look at the roads, they haven't been invested in. The roads are torn up which means it's hard to transport things. Our farmers have to transport the products that they produce out of those areas. They have to travel around and get to their their farming areas to tend to that land. But we've got places and communities that have not been invested. They don't have broadband access. They don't have community centers where kids can get to. They don't have job training programs. These are things that were in that infrastructure bill that will benefit those communities that have been underinvested in. And when that comes to our community, it's very important that we get those resources out because for decades, we have not seen the type of investment, investments that should be in our, in our communities. So what I'm first, so I'm hoping mm-hmm. 
that as we move forward into next uh, session, because I'm hopeful that we're going to have a strong showing in elections and we're going to be, the, the DFL is going to be in a majority again. We're going to have more posse caucus members added to our ranks, um, not only in the House, but we're also going to have in some in the Senate. <laughs> we're going to have, we're going to have our first Black women yes. senators. <laughs> and I, I got to tell you, I, I am, I am, uh, I don't even think excited is the word that I can use that, that really no. explains how um, how anxious I am and uh, anticipating the ability to work with those sisters over over in a Senate. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that, like Claire, Zango, Erin McQuay. I'm looking forward mm, yes. to those sisters, you know, coming over there and, and the voices, the voices that they're going to bring, they're going to change, change the total tenor of the conversations over in that city. So I'm excited about that. So for for voters out there, uh, you know, my brothers and sisters, get out and vote. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the things when I was first campaigning, I remember I was over at a an apartment complex and I was talking to some folks and talked to a couple of brothers. And I was like, I was like, yo, elections are coming up. I hope you're gonna come out and vote. I hope you're gonna come out and support me. You know, you can ask me any questions, here's some information. And the one thing they said, yo, I don't vote. I was like, why not? Well, because it doesn't matter if I vote or not, it's not going to change my life. And mm-hmm. then, they, then they, and they say, I just don't do politics. Mm-hmm. And what I said too much, I said, look, you know, at least give yourself a chance to have something change at the and at the political level, at the policy level, in the legislature, right? Because although you're saying you don't do politics, politics is doing you every day. Yes, it is. Because you've got you've got people that are being elected that have their agenda and they have the, the constituencies and the special interest groups and the folks that are lobbying them that they're advocating for. And if you are not a part of that group, they're not looking out for you. Right. So all the policies and the city ordinances and the county uh, policies, they're not going to be drafted or enacted and voted on with you in mind. So you need to go out there and make sure that you vote and you put people in place that are going to represent you. So I'm saying get out there and vote because our voice is important. And then look at if our voice what if our voice was not important, you wouldn't see what's happening in Georgia. Yes. You wouldn't see what's happening in, in Kentucky. You wouldn't see what's happening um, in some of our other more uh, in our Republican-led states where they're trying to do everything they can I mean, to suppress votes and ensure that people that look like me and you, sister, yeah, don't don't have a strong voice. And even here, and even here, in in some of these state government election committees, we've been seeing legislators trying to propose legislation that would do the same. So I want I want our listeners to be clear: like Minnesota is not um, immune to the the impact of people trying to suppress the vote here in the state of Minnesota as well. So. The only, the, only, the only reason, the only thing standing between that is the fact that, like I said, you have a large posse presence mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the legislature um, that we're saying absolutely not every time we see something like that come up. Uh, we're also carrying bills like like the bill I carry for uh, voter restoration for folks yes. that are that have felons, but that are out, that are not incarcerated. So they have the opportunity to have a voice in their communities because they're working in their communities. They're paying bills, they're paying taxes. They're helping mm-hmm. be productive, but they can't vote. Mm-hmm. They should have a they should have a voice. They should have opportunity to vote. Mm-hmm. But our Republican colleagues, nope, mm-hmm. they will not support that. Right, even though even though they have folks in their communities, their constituents that would give them the opportunity to vote. But what they believe, and this is this is the thing we have to think about. What they believe is that the folks that are going to benefit from that the most are people that look like you and me. People that, are, mm-hmm. that they believe aren't going to vote for them. So every mm-hmm. single day, every single session, they're putting forward bills and policies and legislation that will take away some of your rights, that will prevent you from having a voice in our democracy. So that's why we need you to come out and come out strong to ensure that you keep legislators in place that will absolutely fight for you to make sure you have your rights and you have your voice in our democracy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. And Make sure that you are doing your research on candidates. Make sure if they have already been in office, you can look up the bills that they have supported or the bills that they have authored to see what their priorities are. 
um, the votes that they have casted, like all of the, that is their resume. That is their resume. Just like if you're hiring for a job, you look at someone's resume of their past work and accomplishments. You can look up for any legislator, for any elected official that's already been in office before, what they have done in the past, what is their track record. You have to know these things so that you're able to really be able to hold them accountable to their priorities and what they have said. What they have said, if they what they have said they have done, is that aligning with what they've actually done? So super important. Thank you so much for that. Um, we're nearing the end, but I do want to give you just an opportunity <laughs> to talk about, you know, how are you maintaining joy in the midst of such an intense election season? Because campaigning is no joke. And I couldn't imagine being in a role where you got a campaign every other year, <laughs> even if you are an incumbent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of work. And I know you've got family, you have children, you have life outside of this. So how, <laughs> what's keeping you balanced? What's keeping you joyful? <laughs> I think that is it, right? The, we, we, we opened up with faith. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my faith for me is saying that, you know, it's, it's doing the work. It's, it's doing good work. And it's, it's, it's doing the good work that is going to be impactful to not only, you know, myself and my family, but to my neighbors and my friends and to their kids. And, and knowing that you have the opportunity to, to do some things that could be uh, have generational impact in a good way. You know, that's 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 something that 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 kind of keeps me going every day. But the the support of my wife, um, the the love of my kids and my family, that is the stuff that sustains me. Because what I always tell folks, I said, you know, I'm not going to be a politician forever. I don't know how long I'll be doing this. As as long as as voters want me here, uh, my neighbors want me here, and as long as my wife says it's okay that I can continue <laughs> to do this. But what I will, but what I will always be is a father and and a husband. Mm-hmm. And, and a brother and an uncle and, and a son. And so mm-hmm. for me, making sure that I maintain um, those relationships as, as um, close as possible and, and keeping those connections and, and keeping staying, um, staying grounded in that love that I have there. Those are the things that bring me joy. Um, taking a break every now and then. Those are the things that bring me joy because that's important. You, you can't forget why you do this, but you also can't forget the things that gave you the the energy to do it and the love and support to do it um, and that will sustain you throughout. Because I gotta tell you, on those nights when I'm leaving the Capitol like two in the morning. <laughs> I don't know, miss it. I don't you know. miss it. <laughs> but on those nights when you're leaving the Capitol at two in the morning, I think one of the things that, um, that make you feel good is to know that you're gonna go home you're going to see your kids the next morning. You're going to see your wife the next morning. And, 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 and they know that you're out doing the best you can to make the lives better for other people. And that it's not, it's not selfish. It's not about you, but it's about everybody. And, and I think, and they're proud of that. And those, those are things that give me joy. That's awesome. Shout out to you. Thank you so much, Cedric, um, Representative Frazier. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. This was such an enriching conversation. I really hope that our listeners um, got a lot out of it, learned a lot, learned um, more about how to get involved in this political process, how to step into it if you are interested, what's really happening at the Capitol, because um, there's a lot at stake there in that body and thank you so much for stepping in and saying that I want to be used I want to be among Mm -hmm. the number who actually want to represent the interests of your community and your constituents in a meaningful in a positive way in a way that's going to bring lasting change Um, we do not discount that so thank you so much we wish you the best of luck in the rest of campaign season and as we wrap up, um, how can people find you? Um, how can they support you um, in your work, in your um, advocacy, just in you serving as an elected official? So where can people find you? Yeah, I, I'm at Cedric Frazier. That's on uh, that's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. Um, you can find me there. Um, I post frequently. 
Um, you know, one of the big things during campaigns, campaigns cost money. So if you can check me out, if you want to <laughs> be a donor, that's absolutely fine. If not, I'm cool with that because, you know, one of the other things that you can do is come out and door knock, mm-hmm. come out and talk to, uh, talk to your neighbors. If you live in my district, um, talk to your community members, invite me over to have a conversation, a meeting group with your neighbors. I mean, those, those are also important ways because what I'll tell you, uh, organized people, can defeat organized money, money all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's why I say it doesn't matter if you donate money. Uh, give me your time. Uh, give me that type of energy. Bring me out to meet folks because that's what we do. That's why I do this. So um, that's the way you can follow me, and, and that's the way you can be supportive. And uh, you can reach me there, and I, I, I am responsive if you reach out to me in those on those uh, platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. As we leave, I just want to open up space. What is one takeaway out of our entire conversation? If there's one thing that you want listeners to make sure they leave with um, today, what is that one thing? I Make sure that you're engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, sister, you said it, Amber, you said it earlier. Um, be educated. Know who these folks are mm-hmm. that, that you're voting for. There's so many times that people go into the booth and they, they may have no idea who's on the ballot. And they either just pick somebody or they just leave it blank. Mm. Be educated when you go into that booth. Know who the folks are that are on the ballot. Make sure that those are in the, in the, anyone you vote for is someone that aligns with your values mm-hmm. as much as possible. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Be, be engaged. And, and the way to, you know, one of the best ways to be engaged is to be educated and informed on the individuals that are running for office. so much representative frazier for being on today's podcast and this is a super timely conversation because it is election day tomorrow tuesday november 8th so i really hope that you have made your plan to vote you've done all your research like we talked about on the episode that you have vote, maybe even voted already and you're going to support helping others get to the polls tomorrow But we want to make sure that everyone who is listening to our platform and uh, tuning in on social media, that they are prepared to vote. So as we've been doing this series on our podcast, we've also been doing a series on our Instagram page for the hashtag Revive the Vote series, where you can get all types of information and tips on what it looks like to vote, registering to vote. We did conversations about that, voting early. We did conversations about that. And we also have posts talking about what to do on election day. If you need to register in person at the polls, Minnesota is the same day voter registration state. And so there is opportunity there to get even more informed if you or someone you know needs to register in person on election day tomorrow. And then we'll also have some content tomorrow at the start of polls opening, just some election day reminders for you. So we're really excited to continue to support this work to make sure we're getting out the vote in our communities and making sure that we are all informed and ready to Um, exercise our vote and our choice this election season. So thank you all. We have one more episode left in this series before we transition into a new series for the podcast. And I just, I've been so incredibly blessed by these conversations, really stepping into the political space, really lifting up political leaders in our community that are doing great work. So thank you all to all of our previous guests. As always, if you want to stay in the loop and on the go with notifications about when episodes drop, you need to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google. You can look us up at The Revival Podcast or The Revival MN. Anyone should pop up. 
And we are on Facebook and Instagram at The Revival MN. So like I said, if you want to catch those uh, Revive the Vote posts about everything voting in Minnesota, you're going to want to look us up on social media. So thank you all. I'm excited to see you all back in one week from today. And for now, we'll see you soon. Please get out the vote tomorrow on Election Day. Happy voting, everyone.